0: Uh, so a few years ago, I bought a brand-new garage door opener, but it turned out I could open anyone's garage.
1: I bet you never thought of that. You see, when you first start connecting your home to the Internet, the automation seems amazing. It's great. Unbelievable. Well, today's guest is here to share a ton of vulnerabilities you invite in when you connect things like your garage door to the Internet. The problem comes down to something called APIs, It's a little three-letter acronym that has a huge impact on our lives. APIs can make our daily tasks convenient, but also unsafe. Let me give an example of what an API is. All right, so we're all accustomed to ordering food online since the pandemic. Just think of Postmates. Well, if the order's wrong, or maybe the driver misses the delivery, or they just don't show up, rather than calling somebody, you can just talk to a chatbot, You can tell it about all your problems, and it can give you a refund without you actually having to speak to anyone. It's pretty neat. You can get a lot done this way. It's super easy, and it's convenient. But the downside is is that there's also a lot of security problems. In reality, that chatbot can be a gateway to some serious danger. So today, we're speaking with a former hacker who used to run straight to the chatbots whenever he targeted people. Why? Why? Well, because the chatbot is a robot, and it's a great point of entry for cybercriminals. Someone who wants to break into your devices can do a lot once they've infiltrated a chatbot. So they could create a fake app and start taking money from your phone, your bank accounts. Pretty scary. That's why I'm happy to invite Jason Kent to this podcast, Kim Commando Explains. He's that former hacker I was telling you about earlier. Jason's going to tell you some creepy stories later on. These are things that could happen to you. Now, Jason also has a ton of experience, and he knows the biggest weaknesses in network security. That's because he used to be a black hat hacker. Now, luckily, he's switched to the light side, as they say in Star Wars. In other words, he's now what they call a white hat hacker. Now, if you're wondering, like, hey, why is Kim Commando talking about hats? All right, here's a little fun fact. There's a big connection between modern-day hackers and the cowboys who starred in those spaghetti Western movies. That's actually where the term comes from. That's right. This goes all the way back to American films from the 1920s. Think of the heroic cowboy character who wore the white hats. Yeah, they'd always be fighting against the corrupt sheriffs or the train robbers, all of whom wore, you guess it, black hats. Why was this? Well, the movies back then were mainly black and white. They didn't have color, right? Costume designers needed to let the audiences know quickly who they should be rooting for. So they dress the villains in dark hats and distinguish the good guys with light hats. So nowadays, when we talk about hackers, we talk about white and black hats because of that. Pretty cool, huh? There's some really important stuff in this podcast that can make a world of difference in your life. If you don't take note... Somebody might be able to open your internet-connected garage door or turn on your internet-connected smart crockpot. I never quite understood why we needed that. Anyway, we also have one unbelievable story starring, are you ready, a lawnmower. I know. Stay tuned. We've got some great stuff coming your way. But first, we have to say a special thank you to our partners in this podcast. Hey, it's Kim Commando Explains. We're talking about security, APIs, and I know some of this may be going over your head, but just think of like an API anytime somebody mentions that. It's like the middleman. It's the guy who's passing the baton from one person to the next, but it's all happening in milliseconds on the internet with different programs and different apps and everything that you're using. You know, Jason, you are you are such an interesting person. Um. Were you ever, like, a bad hacker?
0: Well, uh, you know, I guess my parents might say that uh, because I was always buying old computers and stuff. Um, You know, I grew up in a time where war games was, you know, I was basically that age, right? Um, And I was using computers in in much the same way. But I've always had a curious mind. Uh, I like to take things apart. I like to see how they work. Um, And so... God, and, you must,
1: you must have been you know, a nightmare child.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I disassembled my sh- fair share of completely functional things. Yeah. That's,
1: okay. that's true. All okay. right. <laughs> now you got it. Now you got to tell me like, what was like the one thing that your parents, like they just, they were like, okay, this kid is not mine. No, he's your kid. No, I don't know where he got this from.
0: Yeah. That that would be my, my dad's brand new Montgomery Ward's riding lawnmower. that I just disassembled oh, no. right down to the chassis.
1: <laughs> Did you really, were you able to put it back together? I was not. Oh God. <laughs> I was hoping you're like, I took it all apart and then I put it back together and I made it go five miles per hour faster.
0: <laughs> no, no. I took it apart and understood what, you know, each part did and then went, I don't know, this goes back together.
1: <laughs> and then you got into obviously technology, you said taking computers around.
0: Yeah. I I spent you know, i I was in the I was the only kid in computer club and the only kid in computer classes, um, you know, through most of high school. Um, and I, I went to Navy. I was a sonar tech in the Navy on a submarine. Uh, and when I got out, I you know had a really uh, I had a really good understanding of how computers worked. And then my wife has a computer science degree, and she was doing web development. Uh, and one day she came to me and said. Uh, this guy named Bob O'Neill broke my web app. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, he has got an apostrophe in his name, and it, it caused my server to crash. And boy, did that make me throw apostrophes at every website I, I saw after that. Um, and, you know, 21 years later, I'm still throwing apostrophes at websites.
1: Explain that, an apostrophe.
0: <laughs> so um, there's a back-end system called for a lot of, Uh, these computer systems that you're interacting with, Um, and it's just a database management system. And when you want to write a query for one of the data elements that's in the back end, so I would search the user table for Bob. If I put an apostrophe after Bob, that means something in SQL. In fact, it means stop, right? So it'll say, go look for Bob stop, and then the system throws an error because you didn't do that right. And if I see that error, then I know I can put more things in there. So I can search for Bob's password.
1: And it's as simple as just looking for an apostrophe, which is just crazy. <laughs> I mean, you know, certainly things have gotten better over time. You know When the all the COVID vaccine appointment sites popped up, I was mm-hmm. imagining that there probably wasn't a lot of security in the beginning. Do you know anything about that? I mean, was there?
0: So there, there really weren't. Um, and in fact, we, we saw a real big uptick in um, people writing bots to get appointments. So the scarcity that started being driven in those websites started coming from uh, people writing bots to go get the appointments. And it, it, I, there's like a bot maturity model um, where it's altruistic at first. You know, I just really want my son to get a PS5 or I want somebody – I want grandma to be able to get a vaccine, Uh, but then it moves in from altruistic phase to uh, a phase where people realize they can either monetize it or, um, you know, somehow gain an advantage with it.
1: Well, in Arizona, I heard from some pretty high sources because I expressed my displeasure trying to get my 80-year-old mother uh, vaccine that the site was crashing. Uh, it was slow. It was unresponsive. Up to and including – I mean I have a programming degree. I couldn't program right now if my life depended on it. Well, I guess I could probably <laughs> figure it out. But up to and including that I would put in like certain dates just to see what would happen, like like February 30th. <laughs> and, right. And whenever I typed in like February 30th, the whole system went boom, gone and right. just basic <laughs> programming that you know that just wasn't considered and of course they fixed it but that whole website again for this is for the state of Arizona Maricopa County so i had heard that it only took them like 2 weeks to put this whole site up when i questioned up to including the governor saying if you knew this was coming in august why did you just wait <laughs> okay like just wondering why that had happened.
0: That kind of input validation, that, that putting in February 30th or ordering a negative amount of beers, um, that is the kind of stuff that, you know, really tells you about how, how the system is functioning and the flaws that are inside.
1: So I'm sure that we're all accustomed to going to a website, especially like, for example, I admit it, I use Postmates like way too much, okay? I just do <laughs> <laughs> but I, if the order is ever wrong or they miss the delivery or they don't show up, which is like so annoying, is that rather than actually calling somebody, I actually go onto to the chatbot and say this is the problem with the order, and then they immediately give you a refund. It's super easy. It's super convenient. But, Jason, you're saying that there's security implications with this.
0: Oh, absolutely. Those chatbot services are one of my favorite places to look for stuff because… Uh, they're usually pretty easy to either man in the middle, so you're chatting with me and not them, um, or uh, I can, you know, just flood it so that you look. You want to go on the chat bot, but everybody's busy right now and you can't do anything.
1: So, how do you work with that?
0: So um, that's what I do for a living. So my company has what we're called Sequence Security. So it's okay to say that um, we're. We detect malicious traffic. Like that's our goal in life. We have a lot of machine learning models on the back end that look for, um, you know, individual intent in every transaction. But basically, we're looking at it and saying, "Well, wait a minute. You, you aren't logging in from the place you normally do. You're doing this at a time of the day that you don't normally. Um, you're doing things that that are, um, you know, either nefarious in nature or." Um, are different than what everybody else is doing. And looking at, uh, the information as it flows into our clients' environments, we can have a pretty good understanding of is this traffic good or bad? Um, and we help a lot of organizations understand that they're under attack, automated attack from bots or from, um, you know, somebody that's looking to, I don't know, gain access to the data that they have. Um, in an an automated way
1: hey listen stay right where you are because coming up we're gonna be talking more about the security tips that you need to know from somebody who's in the trenches trying to get to you well used to and that's Jason Kent but first we have to say a few thank yous to our podcast sponsors So, Jason, let's start at the top. API. How would you define an API?
0: So I, I get this question an awful lot, and, and the term actually comes from programming. It's, called, it's an application programming interface, and it's usually used in software, and we sort of let it bleed over into web. So what it is, in essence, is it's a request for information from some system. Usually it's computer to computer, and that's the reason why we're seeing more and more um, attacks against the circus because it's designed to be two computers talking to each other, not humans talking to computers, right? So
1: it's designed so somebody wouldn't necessarily be in the middle. It would just be from, from one computer sending one data set to the next computer. But now we are getting in the middle of these things because we have apps and the apps are talking to the operating systems. And so then we need like this middleman, Right.
0: Yeah, so it used to be you go to a web browser, you type in www.whatever.com, and that far-end web server would actually send all the code so that the page would display correctly. It would send all the data that you're going to see in the page and all of that. We moved to mobile apps, and, you know, the application that's installed in your phone already has all the little blocks to display the data. So all it has to do is go request your account balance so it can display it on the screen. Um, You know, it requests your name and your profile and your avatar and all that kind of stuff. So it's not like exchanging as much data and it's not telling anything to render uh, anything. So there's no JavaScript or CSS files. It's literally just a data object request goes out and a data object comes back.
1: And when it works, it works. But when it doesn't, there's major security issues.
0: Right. So, um, you know, all the same rules apply as they did before. Uh, I need to be authenticated or I need to be able to control who's touching that data. And what ends up happening is is in the design phase, people are forgetting that. Oh, yeah, when I say edit profile so that I can change my avatar on my app, I shouldn't be able to change yours. Um, And that's where we're starting to see. Lots of problems,
1: right? So is this what happened to, say, for example, Peloton? I have a Peloton. So when I saw this big data breach, I was like, oh, darn it. I mean, it's even hitting my bike.
0: Right. Um, and that's exactly it. I, I can log in as me, and I'm supposed to only be able to touch my things, but it was designed and implemented incorrectly, and I can touch everything.
1: Don't they catch this stuff in beta testing? I mean, why, why does it even happen?
0: Well, you know, think about uh, application design and, and products going to market, right? Um, if if this button is supposed to do something, what we're going to test is to make sure that you can actually press the button and that the something is done. No one says, but what if I don't need the button? What if I don't want a button, right? Um, so that kind of testing, that kind of adversarial testing, tends to be done by the public, by guys like me.
1: So, so the brute force (laughs) testing is, that's where you come in.
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, You know, the, uh, the folks that, uh, you know, the media often labels us as hackers. And I I use that term all the time. Uh, I'm not necessarily a bad hacker, but I do go look for these kinds of flaws. I want to see, am I the only one that's pushing the button? Does the button even exist? Right. So what was the
1: craziest thing that you've ever
0: seen? That I've seen in an application. Yeah, yeah um, were, were you say, just were,
1: were, were you just sat there, Jason? You're like, and you're shaking your head, going, "Oh my gosh! I mean, this is as simple as black and white, and they totally missed it."
0: Yeah, and uh, so a few years ago, I was uh, I, I bought a brand new garage door opener, um, and it and it plugs into the internet. Isn't that great? I don't have to you know, program that stupid thing in my car anymore. I don't have to grab little radio clicker boxes and hand them out. I can just invite people over with my app and they can open my garage. But it turned out I could open anyone's garage. <laughs> um, and and uh, I proved that with a friend of mine. I sat in my driveway here in Columbus, Ohio, and he had the same garage door opener in San Francisco, and I opened his garage.
1: Oh my, you're kidding. How did you do that?
0: I just looked at the API traffic in a, a what's called an intercept proxy um, that's called Burp Suite um, and what Burp Suite does is it, it looks at the underlying data exchange that's happening in between devices I just programmed it to listen for my phone uh, it saw the data transfer and it was a very simple construct it just simply sent to the back end my ID you know the ID number on my box Mm -hmm. and then a door position one, which meant open. Um, And then I just changed that ID number to my (laughs) friend, and and, and it opened in.
1: Garbage in, garbage out, right?
0: (laughs) Right. And that's, uh, you know, one of the guiding principles in application security is never trust something that somebody has typed in, right? Um, But what everybody forgets is I don't necessarily have to uh, type it in Where you say I type it in, I can type it in anywhere.
1: Yeah, and that's an interesting concept because when you start looking at the Internet of Things, there's not a lot of security when all this stuff keeps coming out, right?
0: Exactly right. I mean, just a few years ago at DEF CON, a guy showed one of those smart door locks. You know, he could – if you gave him guest access to open the door, he could become the administrator and take your right away from the door. Um, You know, those are the kinds of things that we're seeing in very small, we didn't look for this kind of flaws, but they have huge impact
1: you know when you just mentioned Defcon, and I went a couple of years ago and it's just it's fascinating to me how vulnerable we all are, and nobody really talks about it until the exploit happens and until then, I feel like we're all just like sitting ducks
0: yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to uh, we don't have a good PR firm out here, you know, helping us understand or helping us get the word out, right? We're all seeing, all of us folks that work in security are just the pale and paranoid. You know, if you go to any enterprise and talk to them about their security department, they'll describe them as the department of no. Um, and what we need to do really is, is kind of change that and say, you know what, change your password. <laughs> it's really important that you do change your password and that you have a good one. Uh, a few years ago at DEF CON, I saw a little kid. He was about seven years old, and he had a T-shirt that said, I'm here because your password is password. <laughs> um, and, and, then, and he I mean, said, really...
1: it's funny, you know what, because people still use that. Or how about like, let me in, or 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and then they get they think they're going crazy, and they go, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, right? It's like, no, right.
0: no. I worked in, you know, death side repair at a bank for a long time, and Somebody's got a bunch of penguins on their desk, you know, you know their password is penguin, right, um, and and sort of works like that.
1: So, you know, I know we're, we're kind of going all across the board, but I just – I want to stick on passwords for just a second uh, sure. because they're so important and people – they use the same password for multiple sites. I mean, you know, you can go to that site. I'm sure you know about it, but have I been pwned? And you can just type in your email address and it'll tell you passwords that you've used. And that's how the extortion happens. And it's just a baseline criteria for all of us to have these super duper passwords. So, it, it it goes back and forth. Like, I've heard the number, like, you need to have, like, eight characters, 12 characters, upper, lowercase, hyphens, a gang symbol, a hieroglyphics, you know, something in there. What What is a baseline password criteria for you?
0: So, um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll admit to everyone, I'm a security professional, and I use the same password everywhere. And everybody will be shocked by that. But, but let me... Explain. Um, I have a very complicated set of eight characters. And then whatever I'm logging into, I come up with what I call a fault, right? Where I throw on the front of that something. So my password is unique at every site, but I've come up with sort of an algorithm inside my head on how I'm going to design so that I don't forget this password, right? Um, And that's the thing that I think is, is more important something that's easy for you to remember that isn't necessarily something that I can just pluck out of a dictionary or pull out of your LinkedIn profile. Um, So be that eight digits, be that 10, all you're doing there is creating further entropy. You're making it harder for somebody to guess. But if you use more of a past phrase um, and throw, you know, an exclamation point or a question mark in it, you end up with really high entropy. Uh, it's very difficult to guess the six words that you just put together or the 20 characters in a password, but it's really hard to remember that. So okay. what you want to try to do is play around eight characters and try to make it something that's very difficult to guess.
1: See, I just, you know what? I'm just sitting up really straight and proud right now because <laughs> I do the same thing because yeah. Because <laughs> if you if you want to try to remember, you have to come up with your own algorithm. I mean, my husband and my mother—they both have password books. Okay, which is really great for me. Whenever I want to get into anything that exactly. they have, is <laughs> so I'm like, oh, A for Amazon, H for Hulu, <laughs> right. N for Netflix. Right. You know, and you just go in and you can just figure out the passwords. Um, but I've come up with my own system and i put something unique at the front and the end so i was really happy that i have gotten the security professionals gold stamp of approval stay tuned we've got some great stuff coming your way but first we have to say a special thank you to our partners in this podcast Hey, welcome back to Kim Commando Explains. What a great talk it's been. You might want to re-listen to the first part of this podcast because it was really, truly amazing, in my humble opinion, of course. So, Jason, we've been talking about passwords and coming up with unique passwords for every site and not using like password and let me in and all the other things. What is your thought about password managers?
0: So I I like the idea of a password manager, but they tend to have one point where they fail, and that's you got to type in a password to get all the passwords out, um, and that can become a problem, right? If I can guess what your password manager password is, uh, then I can get the data out. I also question how the passwords are being encrypted on the backside of that password manager, so that if I ended up scraping that file out of your computer, you know, could I get your passwords. Um, So I haven't done a lot of research on that, but uh, I'm sure there's plenty of folks that are doing that research.
1: And that's always the downside with password managers. And that's always been my thought is that, oh my gosh, you know, if you just know one password, you just open up everybody's kimono. I mean, you just have it right there. Now, when we start talking about APIs, are they also passing the passwords back and forth in order to like have access to people's accounts?
0: So in, in typical design, um, there's some kind of key that needs to be passed around in order to authenticate things. So let's talk about uh, an application that po- possibly people have used, Uber, right? Uh, you say, I want a car to come get me. There is so much data that then, then needs to be transmitted around, right? Your map location. Um, they've got to get your payment information. They've got to you know, look up your profile. And in order to go to all of those back-end systems and tertiary systems that they're going to use in order to make this whole thing work, they're passing keys around. So you authenticate, keys get generated, and they get passed around. What a researcher like me does is I go look and see, are these uh, routines happening with keys that I can see? And then can I use them? And in a lot of cases, you end up with API keys that let me work with you know some far end system, so think about uh, payment gateway, right In order to authenticate my phone to that payment gateway, then you need Uber's API key. I could go in and grab that, and then I could start using that payment gateway myself. Um, if If you extend that further out, then it's like, well, I could make a fake Uber app, right um, and make it charge you money and and end up doing something fun. Right. Shenanigans are always my goal.
1: Now, aren't all the keys and the data, isn't that encrypted so that you can't just get in there?
0: Supposed to be, right? Um, one of the things that I'm uh, fairly famous for saying is uh, there's nothing more long-lasting than temporary fixes. Um, and so if somebody was having trouble with that at some point, maybe they aren't encrypting. It. Maybe they're just passing it around. Um, we see API keys in code. We see them exchanging data all the time. Um, and it's not necessarily always bad, but it's definitely something that we zero in on and start doing further uh, research.
1: Is this what happened with the Experian breach?
0: Um, yeah, they had keys exposed. People were able to get in and, and get things out. Um, this was also off of uh, something that happened on Twitter the other day um, where, you know, a key was was. In, in essence, taken over uh, and used to uh, tweet for somebody else.
1: How common is this?
0: Well, I see API keys all the time. Um, in fact, I've got uh, routines running in my systems. When I go to you know do research on a, a website or a mobile application, it will give me, anytime I see keys, um, it will actually print it out to me so that I can read it. Um, And we see them used all over the place. And oftentimes, unlike a session where when you log into uh, something like your bank and it times you out, Mm -hmm. API keys last for a really long time. They're not ephemeral like session tokens.
1: So that brings up an interesting point. If a developer, if a company, Uber, whoever it is, Postmates, DoorDash, I mean, we're all authenticating all these keys and we're giving our data across these lines and maybe it's encrypted and maybe it's not. Um, what can consumers do?
0: Yeah, um, and that's a really great question for, you know, what should I be looking for? What are the things that I should really uh, understand? Consumers are probably not going to have uh, a very good understanding of what's happening under the covers, Um, but they can have a good understanding of what's happening, you know, what's being presented to them. If you're interacting with a bank that doesn't ask for multi-factor authentication in your mobile app, that's a big red flag, right? Mm -hmm. We want to add on more authentication ways. Um, If you're dealing with an organization that has a lot of your PII. Uh, a lot of your personally identifiable information, the stuff that I can use to generate credit for you, um, all of those things should either have multi-factor or they should have uh, some kind of failback system. So um, a really good example of this is uh, if your account gets taken over on LinkedIn, if somebody resets your password, there should be an email address that you're controlling that tells you that, right? That's Correct. kind yeah. of secondary.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that's the kind of stuff that, that I'm talking about. You should be alerted in more than one way uh, that a compromise is taking place. And those are the kinds of uh, organizations you should be doing business with.
1: Well, this morning I needed to do a wire transfer to pay a vendor because I'm building a house. And, uh, and I use Morgan Stanley. So I signed onto my Morgan Stanley account. They realize that I'm in Santa Barbara. I'm not in Phoenix. Uh, I have to do now one layer of authentication and then the next layer said, uh, do you – in order for us to make sure this is you and trust the browser, we're going to text you again and then they texted me again. Then they sent an email confirming that this was me actually doing this in the browser and I thought to myself, wow. Look at how many steps they have done to make sure that it's really Kim Commando who's paying the lighting vendor $10,186 for the design for the new house. Really. I mean, but at the same time, I felt comfortable doing that because I was like they have their act together. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, They've taken those extra steps. But you're right. I mean, you have to be aware and you have to be attuned. Um, and also, I'm a big firm believer that if you can limit whatever personal information that you're giving out, then why, why put it out there if you don't have to?
0: Absolutely. What you need to really consider is data breaches happen every day, and they happen against every kind of business. So when you type in your phone number, your kid's birthday, whatever that is, um, you're giving them information that may be lost in a breach,
1: any final thoughts on what consumers can do?
0: Well um, you're out there uh, up against somebody that's trying to get something that's a scarce resource if, if you're interested in um, you know being able to navigate this world safely you know look at it from the perspective of like I said, your data is going into a system that may get breached um, your uh, important information is locked behind very simple, locks right make sure the locks are complex make sure that there's multi-factor authentication make sure that you're not giving everybody all the data that you have uh, just because right
1: and jason i'm super happy that you're on on my side and not on the dark side thank you for that
0: (laughs) yeah you're welcome
1: don't you feel smarter don't you feel educated that's right because now you know all about bots and APIs and how they can be turned into tools and to hack your private data. But before I let you go, I want to leave you with just a little word of warning. If you have a ton of smart devices in your home, even say more than three, you want to know about how you may be putting your entire network and everything that's connected to it at risk. A 2020 security report from Palo Alto Networks says that 57% of internet-connected devices are vulnerable to cyber attacks. That means more than half of all these smart devices are putting you at risk. Anything can be used as an entry point for hackers, even that coffee maker or that internet-connected teddy bear. So just remember that clever hackers will use any entry point that they can find to take over your network. So it's important that you follow all the safety tips in today's podcast and also you hang out at commando.com. We have a ton of great helpful articles designed to help you boost your network security and your overall security with your devices. And if you learn just one thing from this podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, gosh, there are so many different places now, make sure that you give us a great five-star review and say some kind words. You can say like, Kim Commando is the best woman in the entire world ever. Or maybe just like you know what? Thanks, Kim. I learned a lot. That would be good, too. And while you're there, hit the big old subscribe button or now on Apple Podcasts, it's the follow button. Either way, subscribe or follow to this podcast so that this way, anytime we release a new podcast, and they are all terrific, you do not miss one single episode. I'm Kim Commando, and thanks so much for listening.